Amen. Well, praise God, here we are, another class time together, class number 34. Some of the folks that are here in the room with me this evening, we were talking about how quickly uh, this year has been slipping by. And when we will start again, I don't have the exact uh, date for um, what will be our 20th anniversary in discipleship class, our 20th year. But it'll be sometime mid-August we'll start up again. But we've got, of course, this class, 34, and then two more, 35 and 36. And we're going to finish strong. Amen. And I'm, uh, I'm excited about that. I had a gentleman call me today. I, maybe he's running a little late or maybe something came up. But he's an alum of this class and uh, just called out of the blue. He said, you still doing discipleship class? I said, yeah. He said, well, I'm going to be there tonight. So anyway, hopefully uh, Brother Jonathan will be here. If not, we'll catch him on the flip side. But anyway, praise God. I know a lot of you are watching online, so welcome. Uh, some live, others, uh, you'll watch the recording after the fact. So either way, we love you. Thank you for your faithfulness as well. And um, amen, let's pray. Father, uh, you're so good to us, and you're so patient with us, and you're so kind. Father, uh, Lord, you, you believe in us, and you uh, expect good things. Lord, you have uh, high hopes, high expectations for us, and and rightly so, Father, because you've given us so much and you've done so much for us. And so, Lord, I thank you that you are revealing your truth to us. You are helping us see, Father, more clearly than we've ever been able to see before and to, and to walk in the path that you have for our lives, Father, more confidently and more even boldly, Father, than we ever have before. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our lives. And, Lord, we also thank you for all the other folks that we are and will be able to more effectively minister to in the future because, Lord, of what you are revealing to us and how you are equipping us to be effective in our purpose and destiny, Lord. Thank you again for these folks, Lord, who have uh, taken time out of their day and their lives, Father, to devote it to you and to your truth and wisdom for them, your purposes and intentions towards them, Lord. I thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit revealing to us the truth, Father, that you have for us this evening now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise God. All right, so again, I'll put the title slide up. This is class number 34, and the title is uh, kind of uh, bunched up here. Uh, we're going to begin looking at the list of what I call but now, and we'll explain that here in just a moment. Then we're going to go into renewing the mind, and then as it relates to renewing the mind, we're going to look at the power of self-image. And I have, you know, taught for years on renewing the mind and, and its importance, but really it's been the last few years, maybe last four years, where the Lord has really kind of helped me better define and better understand what it means to renew the mind, and, and ultimately the, a renewing of the mind is is our ability to see things differently from the way we saw them before. It's more than just it's more than just knowing something different and trying to think according to what you've now heard differently. Okay, renewing the mind is is a reconditioning of the way we see things, the way we look at things. Um, one of the key points that we've been focused on here at Heritage on Sunday mornings is that we were never meant to live in this world with the view of this world that comes from this world. And yet that's what a lot of people have, right? They look at everything according to the world standards, according to the world's theories, philosophies, perspectives, traditions, experiences, on and on. But 
as God's people, we're, we're to look at them the way he sees them, the renewing of the mind. And so we'll, we'll get into that. But then the power of self-image, because I've learned in my own life and then also having the honor of serving a lot of people over a lot of years, is that if the way we see ourselves never changes, then not much else is going to, is going to change in our uh, life realities and our life experiences. So anyway, that's, uh, that, that's where we're headed. Obviously, we're, we're not going to get to all that tonight, but um, this will carry us close anyway to, uh, to the end. So I'm excited about it. Praise God. All right, so let's go first to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 8. This is one of my many favorite verses. I've got a lot of favorites. I would recommend you committing this one to memory for a lot of reasons, but obviously the, the point that it makes, and it makes very clearly. We just finished uh, six parts on understanding the new birth and how God changes us through our being born a second time of a different seed. And the radical difference and the radical change that this makes uh, deep in our spirit, the real you, has been completely and, and totally transformed. But we also said along the way that our soul, mind, emotions, will, was not born again, and our flesh, body, was not born again. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it unto the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so the renewing of the mind is very critical in order for the new birth realities, inward realities of the new birth, what's true about you right now because you have been born again, for those realities to become an outward expression of life. In other words, He made you righteous. But as we learn to think like someone who is righteous, this is when we actually start to live righteously. Again, the inward reality of the new birth becoming an outward expression of life. It's one of the key purposes for this thing called discipleship, for the inward realities of the new birth to become an outward expression of life. And so this verse so captures uh, these truths. It so captures uh, the things that I just you know took two or three minutes to explain to you. We get it in, in one verse, and it's really not that long of a verse. It says this, For you were once darkness, comma, but now, but now you are light in the Lord, period, walk as children of light. Okay? For you were once darkness, past tense. Talking about not that you were in darkness, but that you were darkness. Okay? We were the offspring of darkness. But now, but now you are, talking about being, talking about being, you are light in the Lord, period. Walk as children of light. Father, in his great wisdom, knew that unless he made us light, we could never walk as children of light. Let me say it another way. Father knew that if we were darkness trying to be light, <laughs> we could never pull that off. So the only way we could ever walk as children of light is if He made us children of light and then taught us how to live out from who He made us to be. Now, you can be light in the Lord and still 
participate in things of darkness. I don't recommend it. But this idea that, you know, we just, boom, just all of a sudden this, this instant shift. Um, there, there are things that we do not see clearly. And because we don't see those things clearly, we, we may still participate in things that, that we have no business participating in. You don't have to raise your hand, but I, I encounter this all the time where people sincere about their relationship with God, you know, it, it, all of a sudden they realize like things pertaining to sexual sins, for, exa- for example. They had no idea. So they had no idea that sex outside of a marriage covenant was a sin. They weren't raised that way. Nobody explained it to them. And so does that mean they're not light in the Lord? Absolutely not. That God made them light in the Lord because being light in the Lord is not based upon how long you've walked in the light. Being light in the Lord is based upon the incorruptible seed. God, Jesus is the light of the world. We were born of his seed. Seed reproduces after its kind. So we were born of light seed, and seed has made us light. But there can still be some darkness and some cloudiness, so to speak, in our thinking that would prevent us from walking out in our life realities the light that we've already been made. Am I confusing you? See, unless God made us righteous and unless he made us free, we have no basis from which to live a free and right life from. But because he made us righteous, we now have the wherewithal to live righteously. And because he made us free, we now have the wherewithal to live in freedom. And if the son makes you free, remember, if he makes you free, then you shall be free in your performed action. 2 Corinthians 5, so from this point forward, we will regard no person according to their outward man, according to their flesh, because the flesh doesn't tell the whole story. It doesn't tell the whole story. Now, I want to talk to you as we begin this evening about establishing a but now in your life, okay? Establishing a but now in your life. Think about, think about what those two simple, you know, Three-letter word, three-letter word, okay, but now. And this will make such a tremendous difference in your life. And I'm telling you, the enemy of your soul, Satan himself, he never wants you to establish a but now in your life. But now implies what? Let's, let's do this a couple of times, okay? That was then, but this is now. That was then, but this is now. I'm just a sinner saved by grace is what someone says that has never established a but now in their thinking. Notice how that's, there's no, there's no line that, that distinguishes the difference between what that person once was and what they now are. It, it's, it leaves that individual, that kind of thinking, leaves us in a state of limbo. Let, let, me, let, me, kinda, let me see if I can tell you one of the ways the Lord showed this to me. Um, years ago in my business, we had, well, for that matter, we used them here at the church as well after I sold the business. But have you ever seen, and it's so outdated now, we got technology and text messages and automatic call forwarding and all this other stuff. But back in those days, uh, uh, my administrative people kept a, a, uh, a little, three, a little uh, spiral-bound uh, book to, to record phone messages. And it was so cool because... It had carbon uh, in it so they could write the phone message down, tear the top off, go stick it on my door. But because I would sometimes lose the messages, the book kept a record. 
So I'm like, hey, what was the phone number of that guy? I don't know where I put that message. And they could actually flip back in the book and find it. All right. So in that setup, you had a piece of cardboard that was the same shape as the spiral uh, book. And you had to slip it in between the page you were writing on and the next page that was to come. Because if you didn't do that, when you just wrote on the book, ask me how I know this happened, right? Because I was the guy, right, that would do this. You know, just grab a phone, grab it and start, you know. And, but not put the cardboard in there. It would bleed through into future pages that you wouldn't know because it, it wouldn't make a mark on the copy that you pulled off, but it would make a mark, a mark on the carbon copy. Are you with me? You say, what in the world are you talking about, Pastor Mark? Why are you talking about Well, see, when, when we don't establish a but now in our lives, it's like leaving that cardboard out because Satan is constantly wanting what you were and what you did in the past to bleed through your present and imprint your future before you get to it. Are you seeing this? So when we establish that but now, it's like slipping that piece of cardboard in there. It says, okay, I'm not going to allow what I used to be to continue to influence who I'm, who I'm going to be and how I'm going to live in the future. So it's drawing this line in the sand. So I want to I show you multiple scriptures. We'll do this rather quickly because there's some other things I hope we have time to get to tonight. But there are some very specific and then uh, implied uh, but nows in the Scripture. And I would encourage you to uh, understand and establish and even confess uh, all of these over your life. So the first one we've already looked at, but we'll, we'll jump in there. Uh, number one, but now light in the Lord. Okay, but now light in the Lord. I was once darkness, but I'm not darkness anymore. I was, I was once in, enslaved by sin, but I am not enslaved to sin anymore, okay? So, but now light in the Lord. And, of course, the verse that we see for this is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. We've already looked at that. For you were once darkness, but now you were light in the Lord. So, because we are now light in the Lord, we're going to do what? We're going to walk as children of light. Now, some years we go through the book of Romans similarly to what we did last week with the book of Hebrews. I don't think we're going to do that this year just because it, it takes a, a great deal of time and we've already looked at a lot of those verses in Romans already. But remember when we looked at Romans 6, identifying with the completed work of Jesus, where we were told to reckon ourselves dead indeed to sin, but alive unto God. And we said reckoning is something that we do what with our minds. You reckon in your mind. Reckon means to consider, to consider. So when he says to you and me, reckon yourself resurrected, this is, this is another way of, of illustrating this idea of establishing a but now in your life. Okay, A line in the sand that separates us from who we once were and who we now are. Amen? Are you still with me? Okay. So now, number two. Number two, but now righteous. Okay? So, 
but now, light in the Lord. Number two, but now, righteous. And we get this from Romans chapter 3, verse 21. It says, but now, the righteousness of God apart from the law was revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So he's talking about how things were before. It was righteousness based upon performance. Righteousness based upon how many of the commandments you have lived up to. Righteousness based upon how, how good you've been for how long you've been good. But now it's righteousness apart from the law. The righteousness of God apart from the law. Okay. Now, number three. But now free from sin. But now free from sin. Amen. Reckon yourself free from sin. I am free from sin. Romans chapter 6, verses 20 through 23. It says, For when you were slaves of sin, past tense, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay. So, free from sin. Free from sin. All right, now, number four. But now, free from the law. But now, free from the law. Romans chapter 7, we're going to go 1 through 6. It says, Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives? For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Man, we, we could spend two classes on really what was talked about right there. I know we covered a good bit of this last week when we took our tour of Hebrews and, and went through several verses as, as they relate to understanding the new birth. But listen, this confuses a lot of people. I'm, I'm not trying to confuse you, but you know, it's, it's what the law says is wrong is still wrong. But when he says we're free from that, we're, we're no longer dependent upon the law for our right standing with God. We, we um, are right with God in the eyes of God because he has made us righteous. And now because he has made us righteous, we have within us the ability to obey God and live a life that is pleasing before him. And we also at the same time have grace that prevents us from being separated from Him when we don't live up to that standard. And, I, and I, it's hard to talk about it without using that kind of terminology, but 
what he's literally saying here, though, is that we're free from that standard. That's, that's, that's not what God uses to determine whether or not we are right with him any longer. All right, now let's keep going here. Praise God. So number five, it's but now in Christ Jesus. But now in Christ Jesus. Remember, we were in Adam because we were born of Adam's corrupted seed. But now we are in Christ Jesus because we've been born again of the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. And because we are in Christ Jesus, everything the Bible has to say about someone who is in Christ Jesus is true about that person right here and right now. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There are all kinds of things the Bible says that's true about someone who is in Christ Jesus, and it's all true about every born-again person. So, but now in Christ Jesus. So Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11, 12, and 13. Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, we've covered this verse before. I'm not going to go into a whole lot of details, but man, if you really, kind of like last week when we were talking about holy and and blameless and above reproach and and what those three things all mean in a positive way for you and me as born-again believers, well, this is the opposite end of that spectrum, okay? (laughs) He, He says, listen, we were outsiders, we were separated, and we had no hope. We, we were doomed and had absolutely no uh, right or position or place to expect that God would ever do anything for us or help us in any way. Okay, So this was the position that we were in. But notice now verse 13. But now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Okay, Now, let's keep going here. Number six. But now reconciled, but now reconciled, Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 11. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, shall we be saved from the wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. All right. So um, are, you, are you seeing the, the rhythm here? Are you talking about what thing, how things used to be, how things once were, but how they now are. Let's stay with but now reconcile. One more set of verses on that one. Colossians chapter 1 verses 20 through 22. And by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now, so again, a little different translation here, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Okay? All right? So, number seven, but now no condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So, obviously it doesn't say but now, but again, notice the implication here. 
There was condemnation before. We were condemned before. The wrath of God was upon us before. And the wrath of God is still upon those who have not believed upon Jesus. John chapter 3 tells us that. But because we have received Jesus, we are no longer condemned. Are you seeing this? There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We also see in, um, in that same one, but now in the Spirit. But now in the Spirit. So these two are related because a lot of times we look at this. Let me come back to chapter 8 verse 1. We look at this uh, last part, who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit, and we think, oh, okay, so there's a requirement, there's a stipulation in order for there to be no condemnation. And that is not what he's saying. You've got to look at the whole chapter because what we see in chapter, uh, chapter 8 verses 9 and 10, which is also <laughs> is number 8 on the list, but now in the Spirit, right? We are now in the Spirit, which is ties back in directly with what he's saying in chapter 8, verse 1. So what does he say? Romans 8, 9, and 10. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Right? So what is the prerequisite for being in the Spirit? The Spirit of God born again. Because born again, now the Spirit of God is in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. So, uh, I know you're keeping score at home. Number seven is, but now no condemnation. Number eight is, but now in the Spirit. Number nine is, but now we have received the Spirit who is from God. But now we have received the Spirit who is from God. And this is one of my other multiple favorite verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. So you have to kind of look at how it's separated to get the but now. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. So God has given us things that are ours that we don't even know we have. Man, that ought to stir you up right there. That ought to excite you. That ought to fill you with hope and expectation. Amen. So we have received. Now we have received. If you read it tomorrow, what's it going to say? Not going to say yesterday, is it? It's going to say now. Yesterday you have received, but I don't know about today. No, now. Now, now, now. Now the Spirit. Now we have received the Spirit who is from God that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Okay? All right. Number 10. But now the body of Christ. But now the body of Christ. And we see this one. Am I going too fast? I probably am. I see some, some of you going no, some of you going yes. All right. Amen. Let me slow down. These people online think I've, like, forgot the camera was not on me. I usually drink when you guys aren't watching online. But anyway, you got to see me do that, so praise God. Amen. Owala ought to sponsor this. Amen. Uh, Owala, Owala here. So, praise God. My uh, son introduced me to that water bottle right there. And if you if you are a water bottle fan, it's hard to beat that one. So, anyway, praise God. That's silliness. Are y'all good? Okay. So, number ten is but now the body of Christ. But now the body of Christ. And the verse for this one is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. It says, now you are the body of Christ and members individually. 
but now you are the body of Christ and members individually. All right? Let me put that back up on the screen for those watching online. I think part of me falling in this rhythm is because if I'm not careful, I will like talk five minutes about every one of these, and next thing you know, the first hours, the whole class is gone. And that's not really my purpose because a lot of these things we have already talked about in in prior classes, but what I'm wanting to do more than anything is to help you see the scope of of what's different now, the the magnitude of of what has changed, how things once were compared to how they now are. And Satan wants you to continue to consider yourself in light of how things used to be instead of how they now are. He wants you, Satan wants you to wake up on a Monday morning and never consider that you're light in the Lord, that there's no condemnation, that you've been given the Spirit who is from God, that you are the body of Christ. So, you know, recognizing and, and establishing, again, the but now in your life and, and being, um, understand what I mean by this, being bold, you know, even being sassy with the devil. You know, it's like, no, that's who, I, that's who I once was, but that's not who I am anymore. Amen. That's not who I am anymore. It's not, who, it's not who Jesus made me to be. All right, so let's keep going here. Number 11, but now ambassadors. Ambassadors, and this comes from our key text for these all 36 classes, which is 2 Corinthians 5 and verse, well, there's a section of verses there, but this is one of them. Verse 20, now then... We are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Okay? Number 12, but now fellow citizens, saints, and members of the household of God. Wow. Fellow citizen saints, and members of the household of God. And we find this one in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. All right? Number 13. But now in the kingdom. But now in the kingdom. Remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus. Unless you are born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom. Unless you're born again, you cannot enter into the kingdom. So he said you'll never see the kingdom unless you're born again, and you'll never enter into the kingdom unless you're born again. So we enter into the kingdom through the new birth. So number 13, but now in the kingdom, and we find this in Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. It says, giving thanks to the Father who, who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. So we were once under the power of darkness. We were once on the outside looking in. But now we've been conveyed into the kingdom of the Son of His love. All right, two more. Number 14, but now the people of God. 
but now the people of God. And we find this one in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. All right? So there's another one there, right? But now obtained mercy. But anyway, praise God. We'll add that one to the list for next year. All right. Number 15. Um, so now the people of God, and then verse number 15. But now the children of God. But now the children of God. And this verse is 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved now, beloved now, we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Amen. Children of God. Children of God. All right, so that's a, uh, that's a pretty exhaustive list. There are a lot of other verses that are related to and connected with those key 15 points. Um, and there are, uh, yes, ma'am. Can I get the scriptures for number five? Uh, scriptures for number five. Number five is um, Ephesians 2, uh, 11, 12, and 13. And you need 11, praise God. All right, let's get that one. Uh, ambassadors, and that's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 20. You are more than welcome. Anybody else need any that I blew? Yes, number 12, okay. Amen. Yeah, so a, a 12 is Ephesians 2 and 19. Ephesians 2 and 19. Anybody, anybody surprised at how long the but now list is? I mean, you know, it's like, wow, man, you know. And these are the things that, that, this, that the devil never wants you to know. He never, wants you, he never wants you to understand this. He never wants you to think of yourself as being and seeing yourself as all these things that God has made you and given to you and put in you. Praise God. But thank, thankfully, amen, we are, um, he's, he's losing that fight with us. I really and truly, I mean, they're, they're all good, and I, I guess if we're going to rank them in importance, it would be but now righteous or but now children of God. But, but really, for me, it's that, it's that first one, Ephesians 5, 8, you know, when the Lord, however many years ago, really began to, in that one simple captured verse, once darkness, but now light in the Lord, walk as children of light. It just, it so captures, you know, um, and, and, and some people may read that and they go, it's not that easy. Well, be it unto you according to your faith, right? If we, if we think it's not that easy, then, then it won't be that easy. If we think it's hard, it, it'll be hard. But, but thankfully, it's, it's not hard. Even when you, when you just believe by faith, believe, believe by faith, and then something happens and you're justified, so to speak. Like, Amen.
Amen. Amen. Amen. You know, and, he, and then I'm, I'm, I'm saying to myself, my own belief, help me in my own belief. You know, That's good. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. All right. So let's, um, let's, kind of, let's shift gears here and let's talk for a few minutes about renewing the mind. And the Bible has a lot to say about renewing the mind. And when Jesus began his earthly ministry, he preached the same message that John the Baptist preached before him, which was a message of repentance. And then Jesus told the 12 disciples to go preach a message of repentance. And then he told the first 70 missionaries to go preach a message of repentance. And as you've heard me say over and over again, having been raised in church, I was given the impression that repentance simply meant to stop sinning and to turn away from sin and turn back to right behavior and right living. And there is an element of truth in that, but the actual word translated into our English word repent is a Greek combination word, metanous, and meta means a new condition or a change in condition, and nous means uh, mind or uh, perspective or you know, how we look at things. So when John the Baptist, greatest prophet born of a woman, thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, let, let's time out here for just a second. Now, and I don't, have, I don't have these verses in my notes, and maybe I should save this for next week so I can get these in there. But I was um, having a conversation with uh, my spiritual son in, um, uh, in Kenya uh, this week, and they follow along with us on discipleship class. And so uh, Pastor Cornelius doing a marvelous, marvelous job uh, over in Nairobi and other places that they've established churches. Heritage Christian Center Nairobi is growing, and we're thankful, and, 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 and God is good. And so um, we, we were having a conversation about some of these things, and, and there were a couple of key points that I left off the list last week that I want to just, can we just do this? I know this is kind of out of order, but it's in order as well. Um, the Bible, Jesus said of John the Baptist that he was the greatest prophet born of a woman. That's, that's pretty high praise, okay? Greatest prophet born of a woman. But Jesus also said that the least in the kingdom was greater than John the Baptist. You remember when we did the kingdom overview, we talked about that. The greatest prophet born of a woman is John the Baptist, but the least in the kingdom is greater than John. According to Jesus, what's the difference? The difference is John the Baptist was not born again. Was that mean he's not in heaven? Well, he was led forth by Jesus from uh, the captive dead. So, yes, I'm sure he will be there. Praise God. Now, according to Jesus, the least in the kingdom is not just someone who breaks the commandments, but someone who teaches other people to break them. Now, that's... Again, that's challenging for a lot of us to, does that mean, well, let's just go break the, no, that's not what he's saying. But um, I watched a documentary the other evening um, on uh, the second highest mountain in the world. Anybody know what it is? It's K2. We think of Mount Everest as, as being, and it is, Mount Everest is the, is the tallest mountain in the world. K2 is, is on up there. It's not, it's not as tall as Mount Everest, 
But in 2000, I may have the year wrong, I think it was 2019 or one of those years, a few years ago, whenever this documentary was done, 843 people made it to the summit of Mount Everest and zero made it to the summit of K2. It's just that much, it's not as tall, but it's that, it's, it's that much more difficult um, to climb. Um, anyway, I don't get me started talking about all this. But, but in, in the interviewing of this man who had been trying for years to summit K2 and still hasn't, unless he has recently, um, he said Everest and K2 aren't even the same sport. And you think, well, wh why are you saying that that way, you know? Uh, they're mountain climbing. Sure, he's not, it's not, there's no comparison. There's, there, there, there's, they seem so similar, but he says they're, they're so different that it's not even fair to put them in the same category. All right. so, so, again, Pastor Mark, what does this have to do with anything? See, when, when Jesus says something like, the greatest prophet born of a woman is John the Baptist, and the least in the kingdom is greater than John. He's trying to help you and me. He's not giving us that for shock value. He's trying to help us understand how profound a thing it is, how radical a transformation it is for someone to be born again. Amen. I mean, that, that, is, that is astounding to me. So, he, so we're not even talking about the same sport. We're talking about the same, in this case, the same approach to being right with God. Uh, the old system versus the new. On the surface, you know, religion tries to make it all seem the same. It's not the same. It's not the same. Now, I have been prompted a couple of times on this during this class, and so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share this. It may not be for everybody, and it is controversial, and I understand that. I'm not trying to be controversial, but let's talk for just a moment about suicide. Because I was raised, like a lot of you, um, having been taught that if a person commits suicide, they clearly did something wrong, that, you know, thou shalt not kill, they kill themselves, they broke a commandment, and because they died in the process of breaking the commandment, they didn't live long enough to ask God to forgive them. So where does that leave a person? And I, I knew what the Lord had taught me about this personally, but I was standing at the, and man, God just has a, an, an amazing way of doing things, but I was standing at the grave of a young man that had taken his life, and he was born again and loved Jesus, and he had been through some really traumatic events in his life, and his mom and dad still attend church here, they're beautiful people, and, um, and just some stuff that for whatever reason he blamed himself and it was an accident that someone else had lost their life in and and he just he just for whatever reason he he couldn't seem to put that behind him and um and and he took his life and i'm standing there um at his grave and obviously family is broken hearted our family of faith here is broken hearted and um there were a couple other pastors standing on either side of me back to those Southern Baptist and Pentecostal, right? Southern Baptist pastor on one side of me, Pentecostal uh, pastor on the other side of me, and um, they had their part in, this, in the service. But then it was my time to speak, and of course, knowing 
what not necessarily those men believe. I don't know what they believe. I've never had a conversation with them about that. But I know what the denomination taught me and, and, and believed about that. And I'm like, Lord, how, what? show me what to say here. How do I say this? And, and so listen now. Sometimes we look for answers to complicated questions in the realm of complicated answers. When... Jesus came to make the complicated simple. And this is what the Lord told me to tell his mom and dad and to say out loud publicly at Tony's funeral. Are you ready? He said, you tell them that when he took his life, it didn't make him any less their son and it didn't make him any less mine. See there? Now, I don't know if that touched something in you. It's still to this day, it touches something inside of me because, you know, you, you can make all of these, you know, religious arguments and use Bible verses to back them up, but it wasn't behavior that made Tony or any of us God's son. And clearly, he was not thinking correctly Clearly, there was something going on in his mind and in his emotions that was affecting him, even the, the chemicals in his body uh, that, that would um, bring him to a place in life to where he felt like he had no other option. We know that he did have options. But you say, well, yeah, you should call somebody. Well, we know that, but we also know that with every temptation that God makes a way of escape. But for whatever reason, in that moment, he, he couldn't see that. I have people that say, well, what about an accidental overdose? Because they try to, religion will try to put that into the same category, right? That, well, they were sinning using them blame drugs, now they did. See, again, that, it, it goes back to it. Someone, it, it, you know, it doesn't make them any, any less uh, their mom and daddy's son, and it doesn't make them any less, because that comes by seed, by seed. Are you, are you following me this evening? So I'm not trying to make anybody uncomfortable. I'm not trying to make... And, and listen, I know there are a lot of folks who disagree. And, and, um, and, and Pastor Cornelius, that was some of the things... You know, he had some people uh, in the church there and, you know, who believed different and, and, and thought different. And, may, and they may still do. And listen, if y'all are watching right now, I love you. It's not this... You know, nothing but love for you, you know. But one of the things that I said to him, I was like, look, you know... <laughs> Keep in mind, what we covered last week was number six, right? We spent five hours, or no, longer than that, five classes, five hour, five, one hour and 45 minute classes building up to what we said last week. And so I can understand if somebody just jumped in in class number six, where's this man coming from? What's he talking about? That don't make no sense to me, right? Well, you know, go back to, you know, understanding the new birth part one. Really, you got to go back before that. You got to go back to um, to this slide right here, you know, where we where we started talking about spirit, soul, and body, and and what and using that then as a foundation for understanding the new birth. So, um, I I appreciate you letting me. I kind of you know shot out of a cannon this this evening and jumped straight into butt now. And after having that conversation um, with Pastor Cornelius. You know, I, I really was just talking to the Lord about it. And I said, you know, I, there's some of these things I need to 
questions and points that I was making with Cornelius that um, I didn't have in my notes last week, but that I feel like I needed to mention here. So, um, amen? Amen. Amen. All right. So, let's, uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Um, I went down and, and pulled up the, uh, the Stickman uh, overlay. And so because of that, I'm going I'm to not put Romans 12, 1 and 2 on the screen. But hopefully you are familiar with it enough by now that you can quote it. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, the least you can do. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So remember, good, acceptable, and perfect is not three different levels or categories, but they are all three adjectives describing the singular individual will of God. And it literally means beneficial, well-pleasing, all-encompassing. Perfect will of God. Perfect means teleos, all-encompassing. Good means beneficial. Acceptable means well-pleasing. You're going to like it. Amen. So the will of God for your life, the will of God. God doesn't have multiple wills, okay? Um, The will of God for your life is beneficial, it's well-pleasing, and it's all-encompassing. This is what he's saying here. But as these verses are written to born-again believers... He's saying that as a born-again man or a woman, the next step for you is the renewing or the reconditioning of the mind. The renewing or the reconditioning of the mind. Because remember, your spirit was born again. Your soul was not. Your body was not. So your spirit has been saved. Your soul is being saved. And your body will be saved. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it in the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So... When we talk about the renewing of the mind, and if you remember when we covered the stick men, we looked at many different verses that related to spirit, soul, and body, and what distinguished uh, spirit from soul, soul from spirit, spirit from body, body from soul. But we said that they are so interconnected and intertwined, literally like a hand in a glove, the mind interfaces faces with the brain. The, um, the emotions interface with the biological uh, endocrine system and, and neurochemical system of the body. But emotions, right, are more than chemicals. And thoughts are more than electrical impulses in the cerebral cortex. But there's a, there's a hand in glove, spirit, soul being the hand, body being the glove, where we see that you are a spirit, you have a soul, you live in a body, and we've covered all this. I can't emphasize the importance of these things enough to us, okay? They are so strategically important. So think about now when he says the renewing of the mind. One of the verses that we looked at in um, when we covered Stickman theology was 3 John where he says, I wish above all things that you be in health and prosper even as your soul prospers. Even as your soul prospers. 
So we know that we've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. We know that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Come on now. Are y'all heard this too many times? Y'all getting tired of hearing it? We know that we have been given things from God that we don't even know are ours. And all of those things are, are, are deposited uh, in us uh, spiritually, right? Um, where is my uh, laser? There we go. All right. So all those things are here. All those things are here. Now, in order for them to go from here, watch the red dot like a, like a cat. Okay, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so well, those of you who are watching online, I'm using a laser to point up to the screen. Okay, y'all can't see it on the, on the screen overlay. All right, so in order for them to get to here, to here, okay, notice what they got to pass through. They got to pass through the soul. They got to go through the soul to the, to the outward body and then outward. Zoe remembers life and nature of God. So we've been given the life and nature of God, the life and nature of God, abundantly and eternally, right? I've come to give you life and to give it to you in overflowing abundance, John 10, 10. He spoke to people who were biologically alive, right? He spoke to people who had bios, but he says to those who had bios, I've come to give you Zoe. And so the Zoe flows from God who is a spirit, to you who is a spirit, who are a spirit, okay? Through this spiritual union that we now have because we've been born again, amen? So the connection has been reestablished and, and you've been made one with God and life and every good thing, wisdom, all these things, joy, uh, peace, <laughs> right? All of these things flow from God into your born again spirit without measure, all right, so the challenge then is how, how do we go from all of these good things here, right, to actually enjoying and experiencing them here? Well, they've got to pass through this part of us that is the soul. So I'm going to come back on camera here for just a minute, and I know that the folks watching online can't really see this, but, but a lot of times our soul, so... If, um, if, if, you know, spirit, soul, body, right? Okay, so soul position, spirit position. So the spirit connected with God, all these good things flowing from God into us. This is the position of a lot of people's souls. Are you ready? This, in other words, the soul is, is, is in a position of resistance. What is the soul? The soul is the mind. The driving force of the soul is the mind. Thoughts determine emotions. Emotions influence choices. The driving force of the soul is the mind, is the thinking. So, for instance, if God says you're righteous, but in your mind you say you're not, you're going to hinder, if not prevent altogether, the inward reality of righteousness from becoming an outward expression of life. Are you seeing this? Because you won't let it pass through your thinking. Your thinking is saying no. You're thinking and saying this can't be. So now notice we walk by faith, not by sight. What does it mean to walk by sight? To live your life based upon the way things look, seem, and feel. So if God says you're righteous, but you look at your current behavior and you go, uh, it doesn't look like I'm righteous, it doesn't seem like I'm righteous, and it doesn't feel like I'm righteous. See, so you're going with the way things look. Living by faith on the other hand, it means 
to live your life based upon what God says is true about you, despite how it may look, seem, or feel. So if God says you're righteous, quit trying to tell Him you're not. Agree with Him and agree with Him quickly. This is righteousness by faith. Abraham's example of faith is the one that's held up for you and me to understand and follow. All the way down to the Bible says he is the father of all who believe and that we should understand and walk in the footsteps of the faith of our father Abraham. So what exactly is it that Abraham believed? Why is he the gold standard even though we have a different covenant and even other people who have done amazing things? Why is Abraham's ancient example of faith the timeless example for you and me to learn from and understand even living under a new covenant? Well, first of all, it's because Abraham got it right. And, it, and if it's right, it's right. And, and there's no other example needed, although there are other good ones in the Bible. But the other thing here, though, pay very close attention, is what what did Abraham actually believe? And what Abraham actually believed was that God had made him something that he could never make himself. And he believed that God had made him something that he could never make himself before there was ever a single shred of evidence in his physical reality that God had made him what God said he had made him. Are you hearing me? This is so critically important. You see, God said to Abraham, I have made you the father of many nations. That's exactly what God said to Abraham. But Abraham's mind did something funky with that. Abraham's mind, well, first of all, his mind rejected it. And he laughed, right? He's like, no way, God, is not impossible, right? And the angel of the Lord looked at him and said, why are you laughing? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? And so part of what we see in Abraham is this journey of faith where he grew and he learned. And all this is spelled out for us, obviously, in the Old Testament. And then we have uh, the, uh, the version that you know, was drugged through the blood of Jesus that we find in the New Testament, okay? which is beautiful and, and right there for us in, in living color to read and understand and look to. So God says, I have made you the father of many nations. But this is what Abraham heard. Please hear me. Abraham did not hear, I have made you. Abraham heard, I will make you. God did not say, I will make you the father of many nations. He said, I have made you the father of many nations. Abraham heard, will make. And so Abraham was waiting around for God to get around to making him one day. right? But then... He, at some point through this journey of giving glory to God and remembering what the angel said, that finally God reminded him, he said, I didn't say I will make you, I said I have made you. So at this point, Abram changes his name. He changes his name to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. Amen, right? So can you imagine this man who's lived his whole life wanting a child and has no children, going to the local coffee shop and, hey, good morning, Abram. And he says, don't call me that anymore. Call me Abraham. They're like, man, he's finally lost it. He hasn't lost it. He finally found it. So what did he believe? He believed God had made him something that he could never make himself, and he believed it, fully persuaded that he was the father of multitude before, I'm not trying to be graphic, but before his wife even had a cycle to get pregnant, couldn't get pregnant in her 20s. Now she's in her, what, 80s? How old is she at this point? Now, now, she's a looker. You ever thought about this? Kings wanted Sarah in, in their harem in her 70s. 
Wow. That's the blessing of God right there, ladies. Amen. That's, are you hearing what I'm saying? Amen. I don't know why I'm saying that, but I'm just telling you, that's, that's the reality of it, right? But still couldn't, still couldn't conceive. Why is that the example for you and me to follow? We've got to believe that God has made us righteous even if there is no evidence in our behavior that we are righteous. We must believe that God has made us free even if there is no evidence in our outward life reality that we are free, even if there is evidence in our outward life reality to say we're not. That despite, despite evidence that says you're not righteous, you're not free, you're not prosperous, you're not... All these things the devil tells us we're not. You're not healed. Amen. Well, do you, do you see the difference here? Righteousness by faith is not, I'll believe I'm free when I'm living free. I'll believe I'm righteous when I'm living righteous. I'll believe I'm healed when my back doesn't hurt me anymore. I'll believe... That's not how this works. It's not how any of this works. So believing God has made you something and beginning to see yourself, we could, we could follow this through. I think some of you here when I preached a sermon on this recently. But when Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice, went to offer him on sacrifice, the Bible says he had already received him raised from the dead in a figure. He had already pictured it in his mind. He already saw Isaac being raised from the dead. That's why he told Sarah, me and the boy are going to sacrifice and we'll be back. We will be back, not I will be back. Please, all these preachers that, that, that preach Abraham shaking in his boots, terrified, sweating bullets. Oh, what am I going to tell him? No, none of that. It's a man of faith. It's a man of faith. And so he's the example for you and me to understand and to learn from. Amen? Amen? I got stirred up there for a minute. All right, so do you understand then what we're saying about the mind? Here, here's another way of, um, of trying to illustrate it, okay? Um, the work that God has done here is completed, okay? The work that he's doing here is, is a work in progress that requires your cooperating with him. I'm going to be speaking tonight on the difference between personal relationship and mutual fellowship. We talked a little bit about this, those of you that were here before we started the class. And the renewing and reconditioning of the mind is, is greatly dependent upon mutual fellowship with God. Amen. See, we got folks that are trying to be strong in faith and believe God here for miracles here, but they're weak in their fellowship with God here because you can only have as much confidence in the promise, right, that you, there was, you can never have, let me say it this way, you can never have more confidence in the promise than you have in the one who made the promise, and, and we, we live in an in a age of the church where it's all about the promise and the promises of God and how many promises God made and all that. Listen, oh, that's wonderful. Don't misunderstand me. Oh, that's wonderful. But you've you got, you got a fellowship with the one who made the promise. If there's anybody in this world that you have absolute confidence in what they say, I guarantee you that person's not a stranger to you. If there's somebody in your life that you... Man, if, 
they tell you they're going to do it, it's as good as done. You don't even think about it anymore, right? It's because you know that person. You know that person. And so the fellowship with God is, is so critical. Remember the yoke of discipleship. The yoke of discipleship where, where we learn of Jesus. We learn of his person. We learn of his nature and his character and, 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 and who he is and what he's like. Okay. So um, the, the inward reality of the new birth becoming an outward expression of life, it, it must you know, pass through this, uh, this part of us. I was going somewhere before I got sidelined on telling you tonight's sermon. Anyway, it'll come back to me in just a minute. But th- this, is, this is where we are growing. We talked last week a little bit about spiritual growth. And what that looks like and how that works. And, and, and it's, it's, not, um, it's not the spirit part of you. It's not this part of you that grows. What did I just do? I hit freeze instead of laser. There we go. All right. Let's unfreeze it. There we go. All right. Praise God. It's not this part of you that grows. But spiritual growth is defined by the renewing of the mind right? Notice he said, by the renewing of the reconditioning of your mind, be ye transformed. You've already been transformed here. It's where this transformation is released into your outward life reality. Amen or oh me. All right, let's, oh, praise God. All right, let's, let's do this. Questions are, I, I don't, I feel like I'm leaving some stuff out there. It'll start coming more and more into view. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17. And thank you, Lord, if I was supposed to say whatever it was that I forgot to say a while ago, that you would just bring it back to my remembrance. Amen. Praise God. Are you good? Amen. All right, we've got about 20 more minutes, so this class is, is moving on rather quickly. Praise God. We were talking about Abraham believing that God had made him something that he could never make himself beginning to see himself in light of who God had made him, amen, there came a point where the Bible says he refused to consider any longer his age or the deadness of Sarah's womb. He refused to consider it. Somebody just take a wild guess. What part of you, spirit, soul, or body, does the considering? Soul, right? Mind is where we consider things. You ever heard of selective hearing? Anybody in here either have a husband or is a husband, right? Husbands sometimes have selective hearing, don't we? Amen. Selective hearing. Well, how about selective consideration? Well, you, 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 just, you just can't do that. Well, Abraham did it, and it worked out really well for him. We were talking about this on Sunday morning. There is a difference between something that is a fact and something that is truth. Okay? And Satan wants us to consider facts and truth as being equal, and they are not. The difference between a fact and a truth is this. A fact is temporary and therefore subject to change. Truth is eternal and never changes. 
So it is a fact that it was a gorgeous day in Alabama today, central Alabama. Um, beautiful, high 70s, blue skies. That's a fact, okay? But it may not be a fact come Friday evening because I understand we've got rain coming. So just because it's a fact now does not mean it'll be a fact tomorrow. But if something is true now, it'll be true tomorrow and it'll be true 10,000 years from now. So what we see then is that facts cannot change truth, but truth can change facts. The facts were Abraham and Sarah had not been able to conceive a child, and now they were not just, you know, old. They were really old. That's all fact. Truth is, I have made you the father of many nations. Not will make, have made. And when Abraham brought his thinking into agreement with that which God had made him. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. There's something else here. We'll come back to it. All right, Ephesians 4. Oh, it almost came to me. I'm having one of those. I'm, I'm, I'm talking too much about the evening service tonight, and I've got myself distracted. So thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I've got to come back to this for a minute. Y'all blessed? Yes. Is, is this making sense to you? Yes. Thank you, Holy Spirit. There it is. Praise God. All right. See if this will help you, because this helped me. All right, this helped me. This part of you is playing catch up with this part of you. Do you understand what I mean by that? God has done something here that's complete, and this part of you is kind of lagging behind. I had an opportunity to spend a little time with my grandsons uh, on Friday, and uh, when it quit raining, we took them to a little park in their neighborhood. And, um, and because it had been raining, there was uh, nobody else at the park. It was just me and my wife and my two grandsons. So we had the whole place to ourselves. We had a big time. Well, Oliver finds a, a pretty big stick, bigger, bigger than a stick and smaller than a log. And he lays it down, and that's our start and finish line, and he wants to race. And so he takes off, and I take off after him. And, and um, well, then... The 19-month-old Samuel, he decides that he wants to race with us. Okay, and if you've seen Samuel, you know uh, he is a chunk. He is a big boy too. Um, he's already in 3T clothes at 19 months, and he runs with his whole body, right? And so he gets ahead of me, right? And Pam is taking pictures, and and as we're coming to the finish line. He's running, and he looks back at me, and he says this, I'm beating you. I'm beating you, right? Now, if you understand, that's, that's a little groany for a 19-month-old to be thinking like that and saying like that, okay? So why did I tell you that story? Because he's beating you, right? So I'm saying there's, this guy's ahead of this guy, way ahead, and we're playing some catch-up here. 
One of my favorite definitions of discipleship, anybody remember it? Discipleship is, a, is about finding out who you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. You became something through the new birth that you were not before. Okay? And, and your, let's just go back to it, okay? This part of you, your soul, this part of you, hopefully we're making some huge progress here, but there's a very good chance that this part of you knows more about the person you were than the person you became. Amen. Thinks more like the person you were than the person you became. And so your behavior, how you live and how you experience life is going to line up with how you think and what you believe even if how you think and what you believe isn't right and is not the truth. So you can be as right before God in the eyes of God as Jesus, but still think of yourself as a sinner and see yourself as a sinner, and you're going to struggle with sinful behavior here because your behavior is going to line up with what you think here, even if what you think here doesn't line up with what you are and have been made there. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. I got some peace now. Let's, let's move on. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. All right, let me get back to it. Um, so Ephesians 4, we've got some time for this. We'll, we'll jump back in here definitely next week. We're not going to have time to cover all of this. But <clears throat> Ephesians 4, let's begin at verse 17. I say, therefore, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Now, before we go any further, before we go any further, he's talking to people who have been born again. These are men and women who have been saved. He's talking to saints. He's talking to the saints at Ephesus. And he's saying to the saints at Ephesus, just like he said to the saints at, at Corinth, right? You're, you're, you're living like somebody that don't know God, and you've been born again. You do know him, okay? So this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk, live your lives on a daily basis, as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Gentile means obviously non-Jewish people, but in a more broad sense, it means people who have no covenant with God. If you've been born again, you have a covenant with God, even if you were not born of Abraham's lineage, okay? And notice how then do people who have no covenant with God generally live their lives? In the futility of their mind. Now, I think the King James Version says the vanity of their mind. So, if, if something is vain or if something is futile, it literally means no matter how many times you do it that way, it's not going to produce the result you want. It's futile. It's, it's vanity. It's pointless to keep doing that over and over again because it's not ever going to produce the result that you desire to have and experience in your life. So, Again, he's talking to born-again believers. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk, live your life on a daily basis as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Here is another very important correlation between the way we think and the way we live. Remember, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. God says, my ways are not your ways because my thoughts are not your thoughts. And we've covered a lot of those related verses already in our, in our previous classes. But there's a very powerful connection between the way we think and the way we behave. This I say, therefore, and test. 
our problems went deeper than our behavior. Our problems went deeper than our thinking. I'm not saying we didn't have behavior issues when Jesus came to us. I'm not saying we didn't have mental and emotional issues when Jesus came to us because we did. But remember, our problem, what Jesus came to save us from, went all the way to the seed that produced us. You must be born again. That's where it begins. That's where it begins. Born again. Now we're talking to people who've been born again. He's saying to these folks in Ephesus, you've been born again, but you're living like somebody who hasn't been because you're thinking like somebody who hasn't been. Amen? All right. So he keeps going here. There's a comma, futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness. Man, that's, that's lewd behavior is like, um, you know, illicit, uh, sexual. I mean, it's, it's just kind of like Katie bar the door, you know. If your name's Katie, I don't mean to offend you on that, but you understand what I mean, okay. All right. Who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Now we come to verse 20. But you have not so learned Christ. Now, we're going we're gonna to... Let's go one more verse. Um, Who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness, but you have not so learned Christ, comma, here comes a really big if, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Now, for those of you who weren't here in the beginning, that word learned is the root word from which we get our English word disciple. And this word is the word manthano in the Greek. M-A-N-T-H-A-N-O. Manthano in the Greek. Manthano, derivatives of that come methetria and methetes, or methetes. I don't know which one it is, okay? Uh, a methetria is a female disciple. They're gender specific. And a methetes is a male disciple. Derivative of this word manthano. To manthano speaks of an intense effort to learn by experience. Okay? And it corresponds to the highest form of teaching, which is didasco. For some of you, this is review. For some of you, you've never heard any of these words before, okay? D-I-D-A-S-K-O is didasco. Any school teachers in here, didactic, you ever heard of that? English derivative of this word. But in the case of discipleship, didasco means to teach another for the purpose of assimilating oneself into them. It's the highest form of teaching, and it corresponds with the highest form of learning. Jesus didn't just tell us uh, you know, what he knew. He didn't come just to teach us things we'd never heard before. He came to make us like himself. Discipleship is about being made like Jesus, being conformed into the image of Christ. Okay. Now, before we get any deeper into this, I'm wanting you to see that discipleship connection. Let's go back up the ladder to these other verses because what he's saying here is... Let's, let me just simplify it for you, okay? He says, you've been born again, but you're living like somebody who has not been. And it's because of the futility of your own mind. You, it's, it's the way you think. You think like the world. You live in like the world, but you're not of this world. You're in it, but you're not of it. You've been born from above. Furthermore, alienated. Alienated means to be separated from. 
So he's saying you're living like people who have no covenant with God and you have a covenant with Him. You're living like people who are outsiders, but you're not an outsider. You're in Christ. You're an insider. You're living like people who um, have no access to God and you have bold and free access to God. Okay? Do you, do you see the issue here? Do you see what we're talking about? Now... If we hadn't spent the last six classes talking about understanding the new birth, you could see how somebody would say, well, these people need to get saved. No, they've been saved. They've been born again. Are they struggling? Do they need some help? Absolutely. But Paul never says you need to get saved. He says that this is not what you learned from Christ. You have not so learned Christ if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus. So this is referring to our willingness to accept the yoke of discipleship that Jesus is offering to us and to enter into mutual fellowship with Him so that we can learn of Him, amen, and, and become in our life reality, you know, live out the righteousness, the freedom that, that we have already been made inwardly. Yes? So he's fixing to give us some of the most important instructions related to this as we find anywhere in the Scriptures. Let's go to verse number 22 now. Verse 22. That you put off concerning your former conduct, former conduct, the way that you used to behave, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness and be renewed in, um, well, amen, that's verse 23. Let me come back to that. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to, to God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, think about what he's saying here. He's saying you need to put off the behavior that coincides with the old person, the old man you were, and you need to put on the new man, right? Mm -hmm. Which was created according to God. Created according to God. Remember what we said last week? We didn't ask for this. This is what God chose to do for us according to the counsel of His own will. Created according to God in true righteousness... And holiness. That's, that's your born again spirit. True righteousness and holiness. How do we make this transition? How do we put off the one and put on the other? How do we put off the old and put on the new? Well, he says it right there. Verse 23. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Okay. Now. This is different, related, but different to what we looked at in Romans 12 and 2. Romans 12 and 2 said, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, or even by, I like to say, the reconditioning of your mind, because what we experienced in the world has conditioned us to think a certain way, to look at things a certain way, and to see ourselves a certain way, to see God a certain way. And so because we've been conditioned by the things that we've experienced, by the things that we've heard, by the things that we've done, 
he's now saying that our minds, because we've become a new creation, our minds now need to be reconditioned to line up with and come into agreement with the new person that we became the day we became born again. Amen. Are you, are you following me? This is so important. I know it's been, you know, we're coming to the end of the class. Hang on, let's finish strong. A few more minutes, okay? But now he's not saying be renewed in your mind. He's saying be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now, I'm going to see, this is one of the, you know, I, I take no credit for this. I'm telling you, I studied this and preached this and taught this for years. I could look back in my notes when the Lord revealed this to me, but I consider it to be one of the one of the most important and one of the greatest things that He has shown me up to this point in Him teaching me and showing me things, okay? Because I struggled for a long time. I knew there was more to be renewed in the spirit of your mind than I understood, okay? And one day, man, just in his light, I saw light crystal clear, right? The spirit of your mind is your self-image. The spirit of your mind is your self-image. What do we mean by that? Well, think about it for a moment. Your spirit is the real you, right? The spirit, your spirit is the real you, according to what we've seen in Scripture, what we've established, and we even put that at the bottom of spirit in the stick man drawing. That's the real you, when he says be renewed in the spirit of your mind, he's saying be renewed in the version of yourself that exists in your mind. Stay with me now. Praise God. So it, 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 eventually it may be next class before the lights really come on. Okay. See, the, there's the real you and then there's the image that you have of yourself in your mind. But then there's this third you, right? This is the you, the version of yourself that you present to the world, right? You got who you really are, you got who you think you are, and then you got what you want everybody to believe about who you are. No wonder we are so confused, <laughs> right? So you got the real you, you got the you in your mind. And then you got the you that you present to the world. And there's a lot of confusion there. When he says be renewed in the spirit of your mind, he's saying I have renewed you and made you every bit new. I've created you according to true holiness and righteousness. And that's where were we created according to true righteousness and holiness? In our born again spirit, right? Now he says you've been, you've been born again. You've been made new. Now we need a new you in your mind. You need to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You need to be renewed in the way you see yourself. This is how you put off the old and put on the new. Because as long as we see ourselves according to the old person we were instead of the new man or woman we've become, then what do we do? We, we effectively wear that behavior. We wear that identity. We wear everything that comes along with that. The reputation, the the the... Um, you know, the chaos, the confusion, all of that, right? Oh, we're going to get into this more. So, so here, is, here is the fundamental issue that born-again people struggle with is we have a new man, but we're trying to live from an old self-image. 
a new creation trying to live from an old self-image. A new creation trying to live from an old self-image. We need to be made new again in the way we see ourselves. Renewed means to be made new again. He's made us new in our spirit. Now he's saying you need to be made new again in the version of your spirit that exists in your mind. Right? Praise God. Let me, I, I got so much stuff here. I need to just shut it down. Let me, it's 642. It's 642, all right? So we are new create. Let me just read some of this and then, then we'll pray and we'll come back. We'll begin here next week. We're new creations trying to live from an old self-image. As long as the image we have of ourself, ourselves reflects the man we were, our conduct and condition of life will reflect the man we were, even though we are not that man any longer. This is why we must be renewed in the spirit of our minds. I defeat my Creator Father's purpose for making me a new man if I insist on clinging to the inward man of my former self, the old man that only exists in my mind. Jesus has made you new, but how big of a difference will it make as long as you cling to the inward image of your former self? Jesus has made you righteous, but what has really changed if you still see yourself as a sinner? Jesus has made you free, but how can you enjoy freedom in your life reality if you still think of yourself as an addict and a slave to sin. Jesus has made you a powerful force for himself and his father's kingdom. But what impact will that have if you continue to believe you are a weakling and a nobody with nothing to offer? Jesus has given you unimaginable blessings and wealth. But what meaningful difference will you experience if your opinion of yourself is poor, pitiful, and unworthy? Praise God. All right. Amen. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for the things that you're teaching us and revealing to us, Lord. We have, we have really tried to pack a lot into the time that we've had with you, Lord, together this evening. I thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit who brings back to our remembrance your word and your truth, Lord, as it's being uh, poured into our lives, Father. Lord, I thank you that no weapon formed against us will prosper. We boldly declare that Satan will not steal, Lord, not even a syllable, Lord, much less a word of, of what you have given to us tonight. And, Lord, um, our, our brains may still be trying to process it, Lord, but our spirits have already agreed and said yes and amen and embraced and leaned into. Lord, thank you for what you're producing in us and through us for your glory. Father, reveal truth to us. Holy Spirit, thank you for convincing us. Thank you for tapping us when um, we agree with our enemy instead of our Father. And I thank you for good things now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right, thank you for being